then the more I think about it, the more I think actually it wasn't that bad a race. Yeah. It's just that there were much better runners ahead, you know. It's a stiff competition though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, when I'm sort of looking back down and you look at the quality of the runners still behind. But that, you know, if you go into a race thinking, I want to win this and I want to break the record, and you end up coming fifth and being, you know, seven minutes slower than your best race time, let alone my best time, you know, 20 minutes slower than my best time almost. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, that was terrible. But then actually, if you sit back and reflect a bit, I'm not. And I wrote a blog that night, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I blogged about it. And if I read that blog back, I can still sort of feel that I'm pretty angry with myself. But then looking back now, months later, yes, it was all right. That, my friend, was Ian Bailey. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hi everyone, hope you're all off to a crack in 2019. My name is Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have another cracking episode this week with one of Ireland's best mountain runners, Ian Bailey from County Down and winner of his home race in 2016 and 2017, the Garmin Lone Skyline. One of the most technical races on the mountain running scene. In this episode, Ian breaks down some of his recent races, including what it takes to hold the Donard race record, along with a competition face in the World Championships. We talk about the complex topic of nutrition and just the pure joys of mountain running. Before we start, I'd just like to give our sponsors Born to Run a shout out. The next race of the Winter Series is in Gosford Park on the 19th of January. This is race six of eight. It's a tremendous course and arguably one of the fastest of the series, so I hope to see you there. With great pleasure, I give you Ian Bailey. How long you worked here for? Um, I was a trainee here. This is the reason I moved over. Um, Tony, Tony Moore, what's it called? Tony Moore Forest Centre? Tony Moore National Outdoor Centre. Mm. Um, and so, ah, long story, but essentially I used to run supermarkets for a living. Met my wife, I was running a store in Brighton. She's a pharmacist, she was running the pharmacy. Then we both took two and a half years off work, went travelling rounds. Um, and you say travelling round, what was that? Ah, usual sort of Australia, New Zealand, yeah. Southeast Asia, blah, blah, blah. I spent a bit of time, well, we both spent a bit of time in the Alps. I was doing a bit of climbing and biking and, yeah, a load of festivals and just having the good life for a couple of years, spending all the money we had. And then her auntie sent us a, an application form for a trainee scheme here. That was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Jeez, so I did that and I freelanced <laughs> here for a while and then I started my own company coaching that's what I do coach mountain biking primarily and then I work here part-time what do they actually do here it is the national training center for outdoor sports so kayaking climbing is it mostly schools or no it's um probably 50 50 between school youth group type stuff um and people looking qualifications Mm -hmm. so people who want to instruct um, Can anybody? Oh, so they do courses then? Like, yeah, so is yeah. That one, kayak coaching courses. Yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly like courses, that. yeah. To be Can anybody just roll up? Yeah. Or? Can, yeah. yeah. It's pretty strange that, like, I live oh, this 15 is so miles away. I live two miles away, and the lack of, like, knowledge of this place. I mean, this has been here since the 70s. Um, the amount of times I've cycled up and down that hill there. 
and thought, like, what actually goes on in there? <laughs> you, like, just, you, sort of that it's, you sort of assume that it's schools and things like that are sort of common to it. Like, no, but... not, no, like, it depends, you know, time of year, it all sort of alters. Um, but, yeah, no, it's not. So, going by your accent, you're obviously not from here. No, I was born, up, I was born in Yorkshire, actually, grew up in Devon. So you're a Yorkshire lad. Yeah. And, like, were you running back then? No. Started running, um, I've mountain biked for decades, so I used to race mountain bikes and um, started running when we had our first kid. What age were you then? Uh, I was 31 then. And you were living here then? Yeah, yeah. So um, when did you move over here, 10, 10 years ago? I must have moved over here, to, yeah, I think 11 years ago, 10 Trying years ago. Trying to give your age away there, you have to... Uh, I'm 40, <laughs> yeah, I'm 40. <laughs> I am vet 40 now, I was 40 in June, so... Brilliant. So you were mountain biking mostly then, like so. Previous to that, so no running back over in Yorkshire, sort of. Well, I lived in Yorkshire for six months, so <laughs> can even walk. Um, but like now, growing up, not really. It was all about biking. It was always all about biking. And you know, I used to run a bit for cross training, whatever, in the winter maybe, but not properly. I wouldn't have even owned a pair of running shoes. So if you think about the first event you entered, yeah, how did that go? I won it. So <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning. Like I was trying to think what my first race was, and I'm pretty sure it was the Turkey Trot. So I think that because I I live up the road and I'd heard about the Turkey Trot, and I think I turned up having not really started running, or maybe I had started running a bit in the forest. And I turned up and I did that. And it's only looking back that I realised that like Johnny Steed was in that race and Ian Whiteside was in that Like Whiteside should have won it, to be honest. He went the wrong way at the bottom of the Happy Valley and then he realised his mistake and popped across. But yeah, like, I was, you know, looking back, it's like, jeez, I'd be happy enough beating them boys now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And how much running do you think was invested before that? Like, was it just... Like, you knew that was coming up and there's something different and I'll give, give that a go? It was purely because... I would have been on the bike maybe because we had no kids so I was biking two, three hours a day so maybe 20 plus hours a week on the bike and you kind of need that when you're biking because yeah. otherwise you don't feel like you've had a workout and then Rowan came along and all of a sudden <laughs> the world changed quite a lot and so it was a case of needing to nip out and get my exercise fix and then yeah. I think I started running I definitely read about the Donard race and I must have had mates who were maybe doing the Hill and Dales um, and so I suppose I'd heard about it and I'd certainly read about the Donner race. So I probably, I remember working in here and looking down, I was working one evening and the Tollymore Hillendale was happening and that's kind of what kicked it off because then I found out what it was, looked at the times on the website and the course was still marked. So I went out and ran it the next day and compared the time oh, very good. and it was like, oh, actually, I'm nowhere near as terrible as I thought I'd be. So... Yeah, and like <clears throat> I've heard a lot of times, people, especially for the mountain bike, and you know, it just sort of build that leg strength or help support that. A lot of the triathletes will during the winter time they move to the mountain bike and try and help support that. Yeah. Do you think that's crossed over with you? Or? I chatted to, I remember it was out in Colorado back in twenty eleven. I think it was World Championships, and I I met up with a fella out there to go biking after the the World Championship race, and he was a physiologist. And he said that there's not actually that much crossover between the two sports. But at the same time, when you go mountain biking, it's just intervals. Yeah. Because we just ride, you know, unless we're being chatty and conversational, we ride quite hard up the hill and then we ride as fast as we can down the hill. 
So it is quite... But general cardio anyway. Yeah, cardio-wise, it's good. you can't do any harm. So the engine was there, yeah. And so is it through the mountain biking really then that you sort of... Because a lot of people start on the roads when they're running. And do you find that you were just, it's just a natural sort of path to take? Yeah, like road never interested me at all. Um, even when I used to use running for a little bit of cross training, I had loads of knee problems. Um, and so I think I just assumed that I couldn't run the road. And then even when I first did a hill and dale, I did the Binion race because it was all uphill because I used to get really sore knees running downhill. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'll just run uphill and see how that goes. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I might as well try another with downhill. And actually, the more I ran, the less pain I got. So bizarrely, yeah, when I started running three, four, five, six times a week, instead of once or twice, then yeah. a lot of the injuries went away, I suppose. And did you find that you were sort of drifting towards a love of running in the mountains then at that early on stage? Or was it more of a... Because it's hard work, isn't it? It's good hard work, though. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine... I remember going out... Like, Newcastle used to be a lot more focused on the mountain running than they are now. So, way back in the day then... I would have met up on a Sunday morning or whatever, used to meet half eight down at Donard and we'd go for a mountain run. And that's when like some, you know, Dion was still flying and so you know there were some fast boys I could be chatting to and trying to glean all the information I could. Um, but it was always in the hills. And then it seems to be that it's kind of drifted away towards the trails and then actually the road side of Newcastle has come on. And I went out with the road crew maybe once or twice and I couldn't stick it. Yeah. Like I stopped to go for a wee. And spend the next like half an hour battering myself just trying to get onto the back of it. And they're only, you know, they're not far away, but they're just running like constant 630s or whatever. And uh, yeah, I finally got on the back of them and I thought, oh, thank God for that. And then I realised they're not going to slow down, so I had to stay with them. Um, and they ended up running further than I did. Um, and that was me for road running, to be honest. Because the scene has quite changed, hasn't it? The last, especially the last three to five years. Yeah, it seems to have. And it's, I think there's been such a boom in running. And how do you think that the, the mountain running scene has changed, especially the fell running? Because fell running, <clears throat> you think back to the times, if you, I don't know if you read the book, like Feet in the Clouds. Yeah, 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 yeah several times, yeah. Read, like, and yeah. that was just like pure grit, do you know what I mean? And blood and pain, like them guys out there and absorbing the pain. And the mountain running scene now, how do you think that sort of changed? Good question. Um, like I've only been around it for eight or nine years maybe um, oh, it's, but if you look at the Hill and Dale races now they've well, almost they've got, doubled in size yeah they? I mean they're huge and it's more road runners are sort of throwing their hat in now I think that from my perspective it's exploded in popularity you know you get 350 odd people turning up to the Castlewell and Hill and Dale and then like even when they go into the hills a bit there's still 200 people doing Loch Shannon or something like that which is crazy you know it's, it's fantastic um I think that it's grown in popularity, but it's actually, in terms of competition, it's shrunk slightly. Um, so, do you think that's maybe because of some of the diehards sort of don't like that? I don't know what the right word is. Commercialized. I know what you're saying. Word, yeah. I think you know <laughs> there is that. I don't think here you get that really. I just think it's it's you know, it comes in phases really. Um, and so there's, you know, when I started there was Dion and there was Des Woods and there was Stevie Cunningham and then Johnny Steed and the McKibbins. So there was a good group of 
really fast fit runners but then even at that stage I suppose Stevie was about to get injured and so he disappeared a year later um, Dion was probably 48, 49 at the time so he was still quick but he was probably thinking whether he could be bothered <laughs> too much um, and then Ali and Dave as well you know with various injuries they were kind of drifting away and I remember Robbie Bryson coming in for the odd race so there was still this crowd of yeah. people but then they all sort of drifted away and I kind of came in and Shimmy Lynch came in Willie McKee was there um and Steve was still around for a year, and Johnny and Steve were popping in and out. So there was still a few, but it was kind of shrinking then almost. Um, and then, if I'm honest, I drifted away from it. Mm. So I had a couple of years where I really got stuck into the Hill and Dales and really enjoyed that and the Donard race and everything. And that was my focus. And then I suppose I've kind of thought to myself, well, I can either carry on doing that or I can go and try and race elsewhere in the world. And so I've just got kind of more... I suppose excited about racing the world championships. So that's why. So do you feel like it's that sort of lack of biting competition and sort of? I don't know. I think like um, if you're training for something very specific, then it's hard to fit races like that in your schedule, especially as I'm looking at the longer stuff. So it's hard for me to justify maybe taking a rest day on a Wednesday to do a Hillendale on a Thursday. Yeah when in actual fact I should be out getting miles in and then if you do the Hellendale and it's short and it's not that hard a race then you're not really getting the benefit mm. of the training so yeah you're not might... getting the stretch that you're looking yeah. for it's similar to what you said about the bike there when you're saying you need to be eight, like two yeah. or three good hours well you know yourself yeah yeah <laughs> a, a stretch on top of what you're already doing yeah isn't it to try and build and get improve your performance I, I think suppose. so yeah um, see when you're coming back to the turkey trot then yeah. a bit sidetracked there so people weren't really expecting it obviously for you to win that race no I wasn't because you weren't really known <laughs> of course I wasn't back then in that type of running no um, and like how did that feel I don't know surprised or I honestly don't know like it was quite a long time ago now um, and but did it make you think then, you know, actually, you know, I love the competition of running, you know, this is a good path actually I could take. Yeah, like I hadn't competed anything for a long time and I was kind of comfortable, you know, I raced mountain bikes at an all right level, you know, sort of regional level and I was, yeah, I was good enough at that. And then I didn't compete probably from 18 to 31, I, you know, I quit playing football and stuff mostly. So there wasn't really an element of competition in my life. And I think getting that back was quite exciting, um, especially getting back that feeling of being at the sort of pointy end of something was really exciting. Um, and yeah, that first race, because I had a real battle with Ian Whiteside. Um, yeah, that was, that was quite enjoyable. And I suppose after that, I can't remember, it's a long time ago, but I probably thought, right, I'll do some more races. I quite enjoyed that. You went back to Yorkshire, didn't you? Um, did you race in Yorkshire? Three I raced, peaks? did three peaks last year, yeah, which was brilliant. Um, How did that go? It went very, very well. It was probably my best race last year. So I come in ninth. Um, the way they do the three peaks is you have like an elite time, which is 3.15 and whatever. And that was just my goal. I wanted, I wanted sub 3.15 and also I looked at Vic Wilkinson. She smashed the women's record the year before, like 3.09. And generally... 
I would just sneak Vic in like world class races. And so I thought, well, if I can beat Vic's time on her backyard, then I'm going well. Um, and yeah, I came in like three or five. It was brilliant. <laughs> I was due to fly out that evening. My parents lived like five minutes away from there. So I stayed with them the night before and then went over. I didn't know the course at all. Um, and like it just went right. I just judged the distance right, judged the hills right. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a hell of a course. Have you done it? No. You should try it. And you, you, so you had success pretty early on, like, didn't you? Really? Did that, has that success or have you sustained that? Um, in my mind, yeah. Like, I had one year where I won every race I entered. Um, and they're all local races. So that kind of gets you noticed when you're in the Morning Observer, week in, week out. And so people who know nothing about running would see my photo and start talking to me in laws or whatever and and that would sort of get you get you noticed um i'd be more proud of getting ninth at the three peaks than i would have yeah. you know winning the hill and dales even though it's like um who was it josh naylor you know people always said to josh naylor like why didn't you ever go and compete at the world championships or this and that and he said look you're better off being famous in your own backyard than being an also ran or whatever at world level i think for me i'm more interested in being an also ran at, at world level than racing locally. Um, so, so you talked about the Skyrim in there, the World Championships. Yeah. How do you qualify to get into that? Well, the Skyrunning, you don't need to qualify at all. So last year, I was quite intrigued last year. So for the World Championship, World Championships, you have to do a selection race. Um, so that's the IAU World Championships. I think it's IAU, is it? No, WMRA, that is World Mountain Run Association. Um, and so I would target the Irish Trial, which is normally the Morris Mullins Ultra. Last year it was the Morris Mullins Half. And they just give you a qualifying time and a position that you have to get. So you can qualify for that. But last year, um, there were, there's always people sort of saying, ah, oh, but the WMRA Worlds don't have the best runners in the world. You know, there's people doing skyrunning. And so I thought, well, skyrunning worlds are in Scotland. I might as well check that out. So I did both world championships. Um, and got pretty much the same result in both world championships. And to be honest, the the world mountain running one was more competitive, I think, than the sky running one. I think you've got big names at sky running. You know, Killian John is there. Yeah, there's all the headlines. Um, and how how did you how did you pair it then from a place perspective? Oh, like, I got, there's huge numbers in there for those races, isn't there? It's like well, the sky running has um, I don't know hundreds. Yeah. It was like 800, was it? Yeah, something, something like massive. Number or something like that there. Yeah, the WMRA is only selected runners, but it always piggybacks onto an existing race. So the first one I did was Colorado, Pikes Peak. So there's thousands of people taking part in that, hundreds of people taking part in that, but they normally set off the world runners just before, um, and then you have all the other runners. Um, and were you running for Ireland at those you were saying? I was running for Ireland at the World Championships, yeah, yeah. but not the sky running. And how, did, and how did that feel then, putting the best on? Was it like a pride moment or was it, did it, did it carry any sort of weight with you or were you just out doing your thing? Um, I remember the first time I got picked to run for Northern Ireland and yeah, running Snowden. <laughs> I remember like myself, I think it's me and Gavin Mulholland, we were kind of warming up running round Lamberis and then usual last minute need the toilet like 10 minutes before the race start and so I start queuing for the port loops and this fella's like oh lads you're in international runners 
you know, do you want to nip in? I was like, listen, mate, we, we can all queue for a shit. <laughs> and we should be quicker getting to the start line than you are. So, yeah, you work away. And it was that one moment I sort of thought, oh, cool. Yeah, okay, right. You've got this vest on that kind of means something to someone else. Um, yeah, like there is definitely a pride element to that. Um, like, I think the fact that my kids might one day take an interest and I'll be able to give them an island vest. That'll be quite cool. I like that. Do you think it elevates your performance at all? Because like, there's so much of it's in your mind as well, like, isn't it? No, I don't think it does. Um, well, for a start, because everyone there's representing their country yeah. and everyone there's good. The thing I find is that just the level is so high and you sort of go from running a pace and being at the front of a race and getting used to that. And then you're running that pace and you're in the low 40s but the pace is still carrying on so this year actually I felt quite comfy at the start so we we're racing in Poland this year and it was a long downhill start and the first mile was probably I don't know it's 455 something like that but it's downhill so it wasn't like too stretchy um, and I just stuck my head out front because I always promised myself I'd run at the front of a world championship race or a world yeah world champs race just to see what it was like and what I found was actually I could have stuck with them for maybe the first, it was two climbs, it was basically up, down, up, down. And I thought, if I buried myself, I could have probably held the top five on the first summit, but then I'd have been taken down in a body bag. Like. And so, yeah, I ran for the first couple of miles with the leaders and then sort of drifted back. Um, and then I tend to come on stronger late in those races. So I how, do you, how do you prefer, prepare yourself then going into those races? Do you feel excited then? Because you know the competition is so strong in those type of races or are you just really focused on just you're going to go out and do your thing and that's it yeah well, I think you have to just go out and run your own race run your own pace um, so yeah I just train as best as I can here um, and then yeah just go and try and keep it sensible and do you when you're in the race do you like <clears throat> are you always looking at that person ahead are you using that to pull you on or are you just more focused on what your body's doing and body, to definitely body. Um, like you know, I've I've not got that much experience in doing long races. I'm still learning. Um, and like the likes of the skyline this year, you know, I sort of had a really bad day out, and you sort of realise that you just don't know what your body's going to do. So you have to monitor and regulate. And it's not like the sprint races where you can go hell for leather. It's it's constantly thinking, well, how does this feel? Like I did, you know, I did the World Ultramarathon Championships having only ever run one ultramarathon. What distance um, was that? That's only 50k, <laughs> so it's barely ultra at all. But, um, so I did the Morris Mullins because Johnny Steed's got an unbelievable record on the Mullins, like 356 or something like that for a 50k, hilly 50k, you know. That's Have you ever done that one? No, but that's unbelievable. It's the, yeah, like apparently he was cruising. And so I thought, right, I'll target that. Um, and so I went down to the Mullins and knew that was a qualifier for the world world long distance, I think it was. Um, and that's what I was aiming for. And ran, and it went all right. And kind of inadvertently also qualified for the world ultra. Didn't really know I'd qualify for it, I don't think, at the time. And then Federation got in touch with me, I think, and said, yeah, are you, you've qualified, are you, are you coming to this? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fine. Um, and it was brutal. I actually came off my bike in Italy 
six weeks before that race and tore my shoulder rotator. Um, so I saw the consultants and I couldn't move my arm, like it was completely wrecked. Um, and I said to him, listen, I've got this race in six weeks. You know, what do you reckon? And he was quite sound. He, he just sort of said, listen, how much do you move your arms when you're running? And I said, well, not that much actually. And he said, well, you're not gonna make it much worse because you've written off your shoulder. Um, so I just carried on training and went and did that. And that was brutal. <laughs> it was horrendous. You see, when you're leaving up to a race like that, then what sort of, like, you're trying to get yourself in big condition for a race, obviously, because you do quite a lot of racing as well, do you? Not really, no. Um, no, I did at first, and now I'll be a lot more targeted, so maybe five, six races a year would be it. Um, and that's partly time. So would you give yourself a couple of months to build up to one of the bigger races? Yeah, three months. About three months. So this year... Um, it's the Mullins on the 25th of March, I think. But uh, that'll be as part of my build-up for the Three Peaks. I'm going back to the Three Peaks this year. Because now I'm a Vet 40, I want to try and beat Carbell. Um, I think he's still in the 40s. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to go and do Three Peaks again. Um, and then hopefully I've qualified for the World Ultra. And that'll be a month and a half after that. So, yeah, three-month build-up normally. So the World Ultra then coming up to that. And for the three month build up, like where, at what percentage is your fitness sort of when you start? Like, can you feel like you're taking a rest before that or? No, I'm useless. Like, um, we're in the dead of winter now with no racing and I'm probably 90% race fit. Okay. Um, so if I, if I was racing this weekend, I'd be pretty confident I'd go well. And what, what do you put that down to? Because I feel I'm about 40% at the minute. Um, <laughs> Fear, partly, of getting unfit and not being able to get it back. Um, I certainly think that at my age, without any real pedigree in running, it's not like I've got this base of decades of running to, put, to sort of fall back on. Um, and so I sort of think, well, if it drops away, will I get it back? Is it possible to get it back? And I know it's hard getting it back. And plus, you know, I like doing something every day. So this morning I was seven o'clock, I was in a boot camp strength and conditioning thing and then came straight in here went out biking for a couple of hours with a mate and yeah I just like being out and doing stuff um, but I can't help but you know I've got the same roots probably the same as yourself you've got the same roots that you do again and, and even though you know you're not fit and you shouldn't compare times you sort of find you're like oh my god I'm five minutes off my pace for that and it's like oh that's terrible then you, you start upping the pace it's meant to be sort of a fairly gentle run and you find yourself squeezing the pace a bit because you don't want to feel like you're unfit um and so I probably, yeah, I spent most of the year 90% fit. Um, and then just Your watch to... can be your worst enemy. Oh, it's, yeah, it's desperate. I, run up, uh, I sort of went for a, a stroll up Binion, but I ran up Binion just to try and see where my time was yeah. from when I'd done it in Hill and Dales. And I was like nine minutes slower. <laughs> and it felt harder. And I was like, what yeah. the heck? Yeah. <laughs> what do you go out? Like, I used to go out on the Monday nights before Hill and Dale and sort of jog around it. Do you ever do that? No, it's good. I've always had that in my head. Like, so. Yeah, it's worth doing. But then you sort of jog around and I always turn the watch on for that. And so say so I go around Loch Shanner and it takes like 55 minutes or something. And then you look at the race time from the previous year. It's like, oh, I need to take 20 minutes off that or something. You never forget the fact that you were cruising. Or you never remember, sorry, the fact you were cruising. And so, yeah, you sort of think, is that even possible? How do I do that? But So 90% fit, like that's... It's hard then to actually sort of sustain that over the three months and then lift it that little bit. 
Yeah, I think I just change what I do. Um, so like, it's, it's, I do most of my speed work in the winter. Well, I don't really do much speed work, but say, you know, I'll be out doing tempo sessions around Caswellen and stuff at the moment, and I won't do any of that in the season. Um, or maybe like two weeks before a race, I'll do a week of speed work just to sort of feel fit. In actual fact, most of my stuff, you know, I go out and do long runs. So if I'm building up, say, you know, six, seven weeks short of the world, I might find myself doing three sleeve Donalds on a Monday and then run the seven sevens on a Wednesday. And then I'll do another sort of faster 15 miler in the mountains on a Friday. Um, so there's quite a lot of long mountain work, which may not be the best thing to do, but. And what do you think is important then? Like, so. I'm sure the whole world knows I'm in. <laughs> I got under CC. Yeah, yeah, no, congratulations. So. <laughs> You're one of the few runners he did, like. Yeah, like, so I didn't get in last year, so I was lucky to get in this year. You get a coefficient of two. Yeah. And then you're guaranteed the third time anyway. Um, but for me, I was more thinking of, like you mentioned there, Donard. Like, that's the type of training that I see myself sort of doing is more climbing, climbing, climbing. Yeah. And especially my, fit, my fitness is, I feel around 40%, because I was out for an injury there for a while. It's really strength for that type of race I'm looking for. Yeah. And do you find that that's like if you're training for those type of races, or even like the Hill and Dale races for the local people, do you think it's that climbing sort of tempo that you're looking for? I suppose I'd ask you two so totally separate questions because <laughs> I asked you about the short, fast race and then I was asked about the long race. Um, for the long races, I'm just trying to get enough climbing in to sort of um, equate to the proper mountains. Mm. So like CCC, you're going to have repeated... Uh, you, you've probably got sort of repeated 800, 900 yeah. metre climbs actually, so the likes of Donna would be quite good. Um, the ones where I suffer is when you go out and race abroad and the climbs are maybe 12, 1500 metres and there's no descent in the middle or in fact it's the descent that destroys you so yeah i do i've got a session where i do sleep on it three times as fast as i can um and it's a brutally hard session because i'm not backing off on the way up and i'm definitely not backing off on the way down but it's got to be good yeah it's definitely and effective do you take a look at the race then and try and just sort of see how you're going to custom yeah to sort of reflect that yeah always do so i get as close to the sort of shape of the route as i can um but you're always going to be hindered by the fact that well quite lucky really we've got 850 meters of elevation yeah. straight out of our doorstep you know um which a lot of people haven't got like even over in the likes of england you know, i was in the dales there at christmas and doing some running and it's lovely but it's all kind of rolling. They haven't got peaks like this. So yeah, we have, yeah, we've got the peaks to prepare on, I suppose. Because um, that's what makes the Mourn Skyline such a great race. Like, yeah. They're aggressive. Like, like to me, it was like we were running up and down pyramids. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Because <laughs> when I went to um, the Wicklow Way then after that, it's more of a rolling, sort yeah. of slow, gradual sort of climbs and down. Like, more enjoyable. <laughs> Depends on where you come <laughs> no, from. I love the Moors. <laughs> I think the Moors are incredible. Like they are superb. They're like yeah, the skyline is just the best race route. Yeah. So like 2017, obviously you won the race. Yep. Um, so what do you think? Because I've done two ultras and two two years that were very similar. One of them went really really well, and the following year. I just crashed applying the same sort of thing that I did. Have you, I'm sh well, you 
you're somebody that likes to reflect obviously you have a good good blog there that uh, you show as well so 2017 2018 have you reflected to try and understand why oh yeah of course <laughs> I'm pretty self-reflective when it comes to it. like 2016 was probably the best one for me um, because I turned up having no clue how it was going to go and self with Dan Doherty went off pretty fast and Dan was well away and me and Owen Lennon were kind of behind and I sort of thought to myself geez I'm in the top three brilliant and then as it went I just felt stronger and stronger and then Owen was kind of fading after Fofney and me and Dan were just having a crack and chatting away and they filmed it all that year which was brilliant so got to watch it back and there's me and Dan running up the road and we were literally just deep in conversation and I saw myself pointing like where we were going to and I said oh see up there we've got to go along there um, and so I really enjoyed that year and it kind of felt like because I had that conversation that went quickly and it went well and yeah won it fantastic um following year just more relaxed in that race yeah like the next year me and Shamey were the same so we were together up until oh sleeve lock shanna and then i think he stopped to go to the toilet and i turned around it's like where's he gone i didn't see him again um whereas this year i sort of set off same again thinking i'll just run my own race um but in the meantime, I've run a couple of really quick times in training. So I've gone 3.41 for the course in training. Um, admittedly in really good conditions, but I've done a couple of 3.43s as well. And so I probably went in this year thinking, I want to beat the record, which was 3.49, I think, some of that Jermaine Grandier had. Um, and, but I set off and I ran my own pace and I kind of got stuck in, on the Donner climb with a real headwind. And the two lads were up ahead and there was, oh sorry, three lads were up ahead at the time, but I didn't try and catch them up. I just thought, keep running my own race. And I got battered by the headwind there. But what really did me was the fact that I kind of thought that I'd take it easy to the halfway mark and then my legs would start feeling good after that, like they normally do. Um, but because the two lads were out in front, I probably pushed a bit too far to Fofney. Mm. Didn't realise, but I was three or four minutes quicker there than I had been the previous two years. So I'd gone a little bit too yeah. fast there. And then when I expected to start feeling good, I felt a bit rotten. And because the two lads were out front and it was misty and I couldn't see them, it just got in my head. Mm. And so I got back and I was really annoyed at myself. Um, and I felt like the run had gone really badly. And then you sort of sit back and reflect and you think, well, I don't know, I ran 3.58, I think I ran something like that. So I was still sub four. Um, and at first I'm thinking, that's the worst time I've ever run. This is terrible. This is rubbish. You know, I had to sit down coming off Donna for like two minutes, just watch Paul Tierney running up the wall on the other side. <laughs> and my legs were cramped up and it's like, oh, what do I do now? I just have to sit here and wait. Um, and then, so yeah, when I got to the bottom, I was pretty disgusted, to be honest. But then the more I think about it, the more I think actually it wasn't that bad a race. Yeah. It's just that there were much better runners ahead, you know. It's a stiff competition, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, when... I'm sort of looking back down and you look at the quality of the runners still behind. But that, you know, if you go into a race thinking, I want to win this and I want to break the record and you end up coming fifth and being, you know, seven minutes slower than your best race time, let alone my best time, you know, 20 minutes slower than my best time almost. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, that was terrible. But then actually, if you sit back and reflect a bit, I'm not... And I wrote a blog that night, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I blogged about it. And if I read that blog back, I can still sort of feel that I'm pretty angry with myself. But then looking back now, months later, 
Yeah. Yes, it was all right. It was a bad day, but it wasn't as bad as... Because you can't always know how your body's going to react to that. Like, you get, like one day you can go out and do a run, it's the worst run ever. And then the next day you go out and you feel like Superman. You're like, this is so different. It's Why like is that? Night. It's strange that nutrition as well is a thing that I really struggle to dial into. So I eat uh, a whole grain plant-based diet. Yep. So there's nothing wrong with my diet at all. But I've seen me binge out on a Friday night. Just the kids are down in Alistair and <laughs> all the ter- Doritos and everything. Yeah, yeah. I've binged out and I've gone out in the morning from a long run, 20 mile run, a couple of pounds heavier. For some reason, I weigh myself. <laughs> yeah, guilty. Yeah, I've been there. And you know, I have the strongest run that I've ever had in my life. Like you know, because I've eaten all of this rubbish and food, and sometimes it just blows me away. Um, but do you think, like, there's other times, you know, that there's like there's times there. Like what? What do you do? I'm gonna cut that bit out. But that was way too long of a pause. So, like, <laughs> so I know where you're coming from. Like, are yeah, you focused? Are question. you focused into focused on your nutrition going into a race? And like, do you train with the same sort of nutrition, or is it? Um. Yeah, I eat a, a generally very good diet. I barely drink these days. Um, I don't eat much junk. Like over the last decade or so, um, mainly driven by my wife, knowing so much about nutrition and being really into nutrition and being a great cook to be fair. Um, I've always eaten healthily, but we've just, the both of us have just kind of, I remember we just maybe just turning 30 and she was like, we've got to stop drinking fizzy drinks. And that was it overnight. It was just like, yeah, that makes sense. Stop drinking fizzy drinks. It's like, we've got to stop doing this, got to stop doing that. So my diet's got more limited. I think it's probably like a lot of people, really. Especially in your 30s, when you start thinking, right, I better sort myself out. And then you have kids and alcohol goes out the window because the hangover and babies just don't mix. Um, and then Thursday, you... hangover. <laughs> Take stuff Thursday, there I go. Yeah, totally. And before you know it, like, you, you're eating quite a decent diet. Um, the big revelation for me in the last few months has been that I've realised I've undernourished myself massively in the past. Um, and you're doing these training loads and I wrote a blog about it a month or so ago, just um, kind of saying I used to go out, I'd have no breakfast, then I'd go out and run the seven sevens. So say I'm running for like near four hours in the mountains on a cold winter's day, then I'd come back, I'd have a banana and a few nuts and then I'd come <laughs> to work and then I'd work and because uh, your body's still sort of metabolizing it all or whatever, I don't know, just it's a mess. And so I wouldn't have much lunch. And so my first meal of the day would be in the evening and I'd maybe 4,000 calories, wow. I don't know how many calories, but yeah, yeah, like, and at the time I thought, brilliant, because like yourself, I'd weigh myself before I go running and I thought that I should be at race weight all the time. Mm. And then you realise that's just not sustainable. And I went to a couple of really good nutrition seminars lately where, do you know Sharon Madigan? No. But... She's like head of nutrition for Sport Island, um, so she deals with a lot of the top Irish athletes and... She was saying the hardest job she has with endurance athletes is actually convincing them to eat more mm. because they don't need to be at race weight in January for a race. You know, my biggest race this year might well be in November. If I qualify for world long distance, it's in yeah. Patagonia in November. Like I could be doing what the hell I want now. The qualifier is not till August. Um, and yet here I am going out and bashing out 16 miles yesterday, boot camp and biking today. And then I'll be, 
I can't do park run or something tomorrow again. And because it's, it's all in context when we talk, you talk about nutrition, what you do, because your lifestyle is actually quite active. Yeah. You know, um, if you're sitting at a desk all day, all day. Yeah. Because I actually train half stone heavy. Yeah. So I do, and because deliberately. Deliberately. And before race weight, so my race weight's twelve four. I'm normally training around like sort of twelve ten. 12, How long 11. does it take you to get down to race weight from half a stone up? I could, you could do it in like a week, two yeah. weeks, to be honest. Like, and that's why I'm saying it's in context. And I always be careful when I say that to people because, and I I would do it like on the fourth week before it, so then I've got a couple of weeks to stabilize. So yeah. I'm not just dropping it. Um, but when you're as active as we are, and. It's quite easy to do, to be honest. Like, <laughs> no, to be honest, you can't say that to people, can you? Yeah. So. Like, I totally agree. I, you know, I've, I can play with my weight and I can be in control of my weight and whatever. And but I think, you know, I got a, got a new watch there, bought one just before Christmas, and so I'm actually looking at statistics and stuff that I would never normally look at, and just for the crack, you know, to sort of look and see how many steps and how many calories you burn and all this kind of thing. And yeah, it's not exact science, but even. Last week, when I'm, you know, I'm not particularly training massively hard for anything, I suppose, it's telling me I've burned seven or 8,000 calories. Mm. And so it's quite easy to control weight if you just eat what you normally eat. That's it, and, you know, you're looking at what, is it a pound of fat? Is three and a half thousand calories? Three, three and a half thousand like, yeah. calories in a pound of fat. Yeah. It's science. Exactly. So 500 calories less than you use. Or for us. a pound a week. <laughs> so it's as simple as that. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, we realise you can be in con- mm. complete control of your weight. I think the problem is if you've got a fairly sedentary lifestyle, then actually trying to burn that amount of calories is yeah. very, very difficult. And I'm lucky that I get to train sort of mornings and whatever. Um, so but I have had some like real horrendous feelings going into races where I haven't eaten enough. And normally being caught out when I'm travelling a little bit. So the regular way I just made a total hash of that altogether. Um, just because it's Saturday morning, coming out of work on a Friday, yeah, <laughs> bad prep really. Um, going down the road like, and I knew within like eight ten miles of the race, I'm in trouble here. Like, cause I have not fueled enough going into this race. Like, Is there any coming back from that? Well, I was lucky in that race because it was fifty miles. <laughs> so you had time, yeah. I had time, but it was um, mile thirty. I saw it came back. You know, so I was lucky at that. I was nearly out of the race at mile 14, but it was yeah. a good station at mile 22. Yeah. But it was horrendous. Like, you know, the negative talk that went on for 30 yeah. miles. That's a long time to be yeah. talking yourself down, yeah. But on the flip side of that, I've always raced with my stomach empty. And when I did that Mullins Ultra the first time, um, I was thinking, oh, you need a lot of fuel for this. And I was treating it thinking, this is an ultra marathon, this is a long race. Um, even though I knew I was only going to be out there for four hours or so, which is the same length of time as some of my training runs in the mountains. But I had it in my head, there's an ultra marathon, you need to eat, you need to eat. So I ate breakfast and then drove down to Wicklow and I ate again. And even just before the race, I was eating a handful of nuts and raisins. And sure enough, I had to stop to go to the toilet three times during the race, which has never happened before or since. And so then I had to push hard to get back up to Owen and Tom Hogan, I think it was, it was up at the front. And then nipping the bushes, lose them again, and ultimately they just went away. So then I sort of realised it doesn't matter for a, a 50k race, you can treat that like a, a sprint race and yeah. start empty and I get behind a couple of gels. Um, so is that what you do then when you're fueling the race, a couple of gels? Yeah. Do you, are they caffeine gels or? I use a caffeine gel, normally one a race, 
Um, it kind of depends because, yeah, like caffeine does have an, an effect. Definitely, it's, it's a difficult thing. Nutrition is a, a something that really intrigues me, <laughs> but it is so different for everybody. Like yeah. We talked to Ian Keith, who goes out in his training room for six hours. He doesn't even take any water, you know, and he doesn't really fuel. And he's getting his body to fuel on the fat. Yeah. And but then when you look at what Ian's doing, then that's probably wise. Because I, I had, I made a real blunder in, it, in one of the ultras that I did, whereas the year before I'd done an ultra and I was doing long, um, low heart rate training. Yeah. And during the ultra, I just ate solid food, food no sugar, sugary type foods. Yeah. And the following year, I was doing a fast, uh, I was doing a marathon. And when I was training for that, I was training with gels and taking a lot of sugar on. And like six weeks later, I went to the ultra and I applied the same fueling strategy that worked so well the year before. Right, okay. And it totally failed because I hadn't trained my system to use the fuel in that way. Yeah. And it wasn't until the last 10K, it was a 62 mile race, it wasn't until the last 10K, I was actually buggered at the fuel stop. I mean, I sat down because I'm not leaving here until I had my senses back. <laughs> and um, But I went over and took a cup of Coke and just blew my head off. Like, and I was like, that was amazing. Like, it just brought me back. Mm. I actually filled my water bottles with Coke. Only had 10k to go. And it was like, wow. I felt like yeah. I just started the race. But then the penny dropped. It was because I had trained with sugar leading up to that race. My it's body wanted it. quick your body adapted to sort of, yeah, from fat burning to... But I suppose if you're giving it sugars, it's always going to ask for sugars. Yeah, and that's it's such it. an like, easy so, energy source, isn't it? Because so. people are very strong-minded on this is what you should have, this is what you should take. And my first three to four years running, everybody was telling me what I should do. Yeah. But it's really important just to listen to everybody and try little bits and see what helps. Because I, I don't think, I haven't met anybody yet has... Everybody says to me, I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like you said, you've got all these people who read all about it and they train and, you know, people have been training for decades and they still stand on the start line not knowing whether they're going to have a good day or a bad day. <laughs> you know, if you interviewed everyone on that start line, how are you going to go today? It's like, I don't know, I'm fit. Training's been going well, I'm feeling good, but they cannot tell you definitively, yeah, I'm going to be flying today. And I've, you know, that fascinates me. Like the fact I can do all these, and like you say, you do all this training, you eat the right things, and you copy it. You know, I always eat two and a half hours before a race. I'll have two bits of jam and toast and a banana, two and a half hours before, without <laughs> fail. Um, Skyline, I slept in. 20, 2017, <laughs> I think it was, yeah. I woke up two hours before the start of the race. I only lived a couple of hours up the road, so that's right. But yeah, it was like, what do I do? What do I do? It's like, it's a long race, just eat your toast. And <laughs> for the first bit up the granite steps and whatever, I felt really sluggish. I felt like my body was half an hour off being ready for, for the effort, you know? It's like the legs didn't have the energy because it was still in my stomach. So it's probably psychological. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so, so in the head as well, oh, like, isn't it? It's like, shit, I'm 30 minutes behind here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think you just have to go with what... Try, you know, try and error, really, isn't it? Like, I think if I tried doing a proper ultra, then I'd have to change my approach completely. Because I think you can do four hours running fast on gels and a bit of electrolyte or whatever but there comes a point where you're going to need proper food what type of so you're doing a lot of longer stuff now what type of race you look for that, that sort of excites you the most that you good question um, I think because I do go for the world championships every year that dictates it to be honest things things just sort of I don't know, things kind of just come into my conscience. So I don't know why I 
ran the Yorkshire Three Peaks last year. I think it's probably because mum and dad lived nearby and it was a qualifier for the British team for okay. the Worlds. Now, I don't want to run for Britain, but I wanted to qualify to run for Britain. Um, and I thought it was a good chance, you know, when you get the chance to race against sort of former world champions and whatever, and yeah, the likes of Tom Owens and Murray Strain and whatever, they're all quick lads. And you know they're going to go well at the world, so it's nice to race against them. Plus, the course, like, is... Yeah. And it's in Yorkshire. I quite like Yorkshire. So. And I did the Yorkshire Championships last year as well. Because um, I got this notion that it'd be nice to qualify for the Yorkshire team. I've never run the inter-counties. I've never run them for Northern Ireland. Um, and I thought it'd be nice to get a Yorkshire vest. Mm. And so I went off and did the Yorkshire Champs. Um, didn't qualify, but... Yeah. But I got selected as reserve for Yorkshire. Which actually, to be honest, meant more to me than anything. Because... A lot of my dad's mates, whatever, are yeah. Yorkshiremen. And him being able to say to them, oh yeah, my lad's been selected as reserve for Yorkshire, like that would mean a lot to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, yeah. I think until you sort of say to them, like, you know, you meet people at the bottom, you know, get chatting to people in Donna Car Park sometimes. And it's like, oh, where have you been? It's like, oh, I've just been to the top of the mountain and back. Oh, cool, yeah, how long does that take? That takes like 55 minutes. And they're like, what to... And they're shocked, and they're like, 55 to get to the top. It's like, no, that's up and down. It's like, well, how long does it take? It's like, well, it's about 16 <laughs> minutes, 17 minutes from the top back down. And they've just taken three hours to walk down, and their knees are killing. And then it kind of dawns. But unless they've just done that, they can't understand what mountain running is. It's like a lot of slightly obscure sports. You can't really explain it to people. Um, but it is magical, though, isn't it? At the minute, when I was training for the Skyline, and I was coming off the bag of injury with limited sort of fitness... Um, I was just getting a bus from Kilkee on a Sunday morning so it didn't annoy anybody in the house. Yeah. Getting off the bus, getting a coffee at the wee cafe in the corner yeah. of the car park and then just going for a run over the mountains not knowing where I was going to go. I'm going to take this trail, that trail and I'm fortunate that um, my mother-in-law who cooks Sunday dinner every Sunday lives at the bottom of Muck. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So she lives next to Crocknapola so I was just like as long as I get there around two o'clock. That's brilliant. That is um, brilliant. But it's I have to say it's been one of my most it was one of my most enjoyable sort of training periods. Yeah. Just getting lost in the mornings because they're not that big. No, they're very friendly. You know, you know so you're always I say you can't get lost. You just go down that road. <laughs> you can pick up the phone, but every day was different. Yeah. You know, they look different and like there's something mystical about the mornings, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're amazing. You know, I I moved here never never heard of the mornings, and within you know, a year, I'd been to loads of places that most people I talked to had never been to, and they've lived here all their lives. But they, like you say, they're, they're small, they're friendly. I like the way you can go around the whole lot of them in, yeah. in you know, half a day or whatever. Um, and yeah, I've done the same thing. Like, it's hard work getting up into them. Mm. Um, but there's always a point during every run where you sort of get a chance to look and think, yeah, this is, this is amazing. It's what a spot. And you can go up, you can go up days there. Even the lights are just going across the Brownie Pad, which is a really common, and there's nobody about. You know, you can go up there and there's, there's actually days yeah. there and you're like, wow, if this I'm was, the only person here. If this was the Peak District, there'd be thousands. I was out on New Year's Day and there were probably 300 people up around Donard and then so I, I nipped up on a Commodore thinking, oh, I'll get a bit of peace and quiet. No, it's busy along the ridge all the way there and then you get to Hare's Gap and it's busy there and I came around Brandy Pad. But yeah, most of the time it was... Pretty empty, yeah. I remember just talking about Commodore there. I remember during the Skyline, 
and it was there was no visibility at all. And there was some poor chap sitting with his hands in his head on Commodore and I come across him and I said, Look, you need to get up get up and get going. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't be sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. I took his water out and I gave him a packet of blocks and sort of left him <laughs> and went on. I was only like fifty yards to the top. And this poor soul, he didn't know. He could have been a mile from the top. Ah, because yeah, yeah. of visibility. Right. And you do have to be careful that way. Because I know even, you know, areas I know really, really well. The mountains aren't too bad that you know, know, know the wall. But when the fog comes up, like, you can get... I actually, about two weeks ago when I was going across the mountain, I had to actually take out Google Maps. Because I came to this sort of... I wasn't where I expected to be. Anyway. Yeah. And up here in the fog. So oh, I actually yeah. had to get Google Maps out and touch the quarry so it made sure and I was way off course. Yeah. A couple of years ago I was doing a course out in the Cairngorms and before the course I went out running so I got up at like half four to run from Aviemore up to Ben McDewey and of course it was dark initially and then when it got light the fog was worse than the dark. You couldn't see a thing. But because of the Cairngorms and it was winter um, I had full kit, you know, I had map compass Navigating my way out there, happy days, got down in time for breakfast, brilliant. And so you're thinking, yeah, that was grand. I went out in the mornings two days later and got lost coming off Ott. Um, <laughs> and I was just hacking, you know, I knew the road had to be there somewhere, like. And I ended up, I was trying to get down to the Ott car park and I ended up way over on the far side of Loch Shanna, hitting the road down there. And it's just like, in fact, I'd loop right round and come back yeah. to the top of Ott, even though I knew that the ground was doing the wrong thing. It's just like, yeah, you get familiar. So but that, the thing is, you can't go wrong, can you? In the morning, yeah, like you find something in the end. You find a you wall or a road. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So but that that is a key thing for people, though. They have to be careful in safety, and like especially people going up during the winter and things like that. If you go on your ankle or if it's low yeah. visibility, you especially if you're running, um, your body temperature, cold temperature is rising up. Yeah. When you stop, you can get cold very quickly, can't you? Yeah, um, I do carry enough kit in the winter. I remember Dion McNeely one time coming to a club run with a bum bag that you could have lived in. And I think he'd gone out the previous day or something and got caught in a hailstorm and got absolutely battered. And so for a couple of weeks, he was all like extra jackets, gloves, you know, <laughs> Air Force hats and whatever. And then that kind of whittled back down to the tiny bag. But I do these days, I do carry like a small um, bivy bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, change of clothes, like, you know, full body cover and whatever when I'm running but I'm, I am very aware that I do most of my training solo mm-hmm. and it would only take a broken ankle to die of exposure in the mornings which would be pretty embarrassing really but <laughs> <laughs> like you know you're out there and like you say you don't see a yeah. soul um, but we have got phone coverage and so if you can yeah we're very lucky but the weather can change so quickly yeah. like, can't it like you have yeah. to be very cautious of yeah it's gonna change. It's not that you have to go up when it's not gonna change. Like you just have oh, to be just prepared. Like, right, yeah. Like, do you have you had any really bad falls or injuries? Um, injuries from falling. Mm. Same but, as yourself. Like when I started, um, I was turning my ankles over all the time. I think there's a, there's always a period of mountain running where your footwork's not that good, and also your ankle joints aren't that mm. sort of trained for it, prepared for it. And I, yeah, there were a couple of years when I had to take my ankles completely, you know, stir it from under the foot because they were just ruined. And then I don't do that anymore. Like it never happens anymore, touch wood. Um, but yeah, I went through a weird phase last summer where 
I fell over like three times in about a month. So I fell over coming off Donard, which was quite nasty. And then I fell over training in the Alps, which was really nasty because it was a narrow track and I fell over and my head was below my feet. And I couldn't roll right because there was a cliff edge and I couldn't roll left because there was a cliff. And I was lying there and I had to work out. It's like a jigsaw. It's like, how the hell do I get myself back up? And I, could, you know, I was trying to do this press up, but the press up only got my body back to sort of horizontal and it wasn't enough to get my knees underneath me. So it took like five minutes to get back up. Um, and then I fell over again. And I started thinking, is my eyesight going? Or is this a weird over 40s thing going on where you lose sort of spatial awareness? But then again, it's not happened since. So I just went through one month where I tripped over three times. Other than that, no. So how um, important do you think like sort of core work and strength is? The minute I do have my right ankle, I went over it um, with one run. And yeah. I, like I'm look every time I look at burner, I curse it next. About four times I've gone up burner now. I've gone over on my ankle. Right, okay. <laughs> Purely because my ankle's weak. Yeah. You know, and it's not holding at all. It just it has to recover, it hasn't built up the strength from the nasty crack that I got. Yeah. So how much do you focus on that? Um, on goal? strength work, massively now, these days. Um, up until about two, three years ago, I didn't do anything. And I started getting real recurring problems with my calves. Mm. So they both locked up um, and it would take maybe a month or two for them to ease. And I saw several physios and I was getting all sorts of work done on my calves. Um, and then lucky enough, in the end, I managed to swing it because of working at Tollymore I managed to go and see one of the physios up at the Sports Institute and he said to me listen if both your calves are locking at the same time it can't be a calf issue mm-hmm. you know it's something to do with nerves or blood flow to the to your calves in the first place and he talked about my L5 vertebrae and whatever and you know nerves coming down the back blah 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 and he said what's your strength and conditioning regime and I said what <laughs> and he was like you're a 37 year old runner like <laughs> With no strength regime. He said, what do you expect? And so he just told me, like, at the very least, do core work and glute work. Um, And so, yeah, since then, in the wintertime particularly, but because I want to keep training, then I do carry on doing at least two sessions a week of strength work. And it's all body weight, it's core and press-ups and Mm. stuff like that. Um, And that injury is gone. So it's not come back. So I've had two winters now where I've been able to run all the way through yeah. and not get that back and it's, it's purely down to the strength work so. I think you are right as well the older you get the more you do need to focus on that because there's yeah. something you can get away with and sort of bluff yeah like, well I think when you're young you're sort of flexible and I'm recover 43 fast, now and I think that's one thing that's caught up with me um, I used to do a lot of cycling which I haven't done over the last 12 months my yeah. calves have dwindled yeah and you know I, I've had a, a problem with my plantar plate with my forefoot but it's my calves that actually caused that, the weakness in the calf. Okay. Believe it or not, um, my calf's tight, which is pulling the back of my heel up and I'm landing on my forefoot when I'm walking. Right. Let alone when I'm running. And calves are such a, a key thing for runners, obviously. Like, um, but your core as well. I had a real indicator there um, recently when I was running across the main, like Boxing Day or something. <laughs> I was running with turkey in my belly. like, um, But... It was such a heavy run. Yeah. I actually had to tighten my stomach in and I actually f- could feel the flow of me running. I went, geez, that's it. I need to get a good strength yeah. and conditioning. Just, just even pulling my core in, I can actually feel my body now gliding. It aligns, totally. Yeah. When um, I cramped up in the skyline there, um, I basically had to tense my core all the way from the summit of Donard down to the bottom 
And it was the same thing. Like my, you know, you get to the stage where your legs are starting to do their own thing, and your hip flexors are kind of gone, and they're just flapping around underneath you, aren't they? And I think you need that core strength to kind of bring it back there. Um, and I did. I had to, you know, forcibly keep myself aligned because otherwise I was just going to cramp all the way down. And I was still, you know, I wasn't where I wanted yeah, to be. Yeah. But I was still racing. Um, and so yeah, I just had to. And when I got to the bottom, yeah, my core was hurting. Mm. But I do, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of plank work for a long time. I used to do stupid long, like hour long planks and stuff. Um, <laughs> just, there's a, a do, do you know, have you come across Peter Maximov? No. Um, he's an American runner um, and Peter's got this planking page on Facebook. He planks all the time. But he's done like a two and a quarter, two and a half hour continuous plank. <laughs> and I thought, that sounds cool. So I just started, you know, building up like 20 minutes, 25 minutes and I got up to an hour. Um, and you're allowed to change position once. So that's the rule. Like you can hold a normal elbows down plank, whatever. But once you use that, you can't use it again. Okay. And so, yeah, you maybe had a side plank, one side, side plank, the other. So I did like loads of that. Then I realised it wasn't actually beneficial at all <laughs> to hold it for any more than but a couple But it is minutes, something but... that comes on very quickly though, isn't it? You know, cause, I mean, like, I remember when I, when I did do a bit of core work, I must have read that in a magazine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do this, yeah. You know, it's like, I'd done it a minute and a half and I was struggling and my body was shaking. Yeah. And, but at the end of the week, you're doing like five minutes and then like, like core work is something that comes on. It does happens very quickly like yeah yeah I suppose so yeah I think like all these things that you do improve rapidly mm. um, when I was coming back from that shoulder rotator I didn't do a press up for seven or eight months and so as soon as I got the all clear from the physio I started trying to do press ups again and at first yeah, you can't do so what would you do first yeah. for your strength and well at the moment I'm going to a boot camp which is much higher intensity than the stuff I would normally do and it's just all over body it's, it's kind of an intervals type thing but it's, it's all over body work what I'd normally do is just hundreds of sit-ups lots of core work and a lot of press-ups um, bit of lower back work glute raises yeah just the kind of stuff that is going to assist running yeah. I think like most endurance people I don't really want to put muscle or mm. weight on you kind of get this fear that you're going to, like, I'm ever going to get big. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You, you just don't want the extra weight from the muscle. No, like, exactly, yeah. yeah just it's something I am, it's funny I have a conversation with somebody today and I'm, I'm like, I'm looking to do a good strength and core or strength and conditioning two or three times a week. And what I said during the conversation was I want somebody to kind of play running yeah. to it. Like, is it like yeah. one leg lunges? Is it how, you know, and your glitz are, are so important and calves and making sure you've got a good center yeah. there to hold it all together. But I don't want to put on masses of body weight. Cause he was saying to me, you know, he's just come along with the PT for me, with me. And I don't know whether or not, see it depends on where you're at as well, doesn't it? I think it's a bit of a myth anyway, really. I think with the amount of running you do, the amount of running I do, you're not going to put on unless you eat thousands of yeah. calories so it's all well and good you sort of thinking oh no I'm going to put on mass but in actual fact unless you overeat you're never going to put that mass on it, so. it could be my protective mind yeah, <laughs> just give me excuses on why, why yeah. not to do it <laughs> <laughs> no like oh, been, you're putting those away don't do it don't do it I've been doing strength work and yeah yeah but it is key it is critical especially in the mountains as well like yeah the amount of climbing there is yeah that. definitely and even coming down do you find that that would help your stability massively mm. really does and i think like you know it's not by chance that i've only fallen over three times mm. running and i don't mean slipping over obviously you do that yeah, when your yeah. shoe gives way but I actually tripped over three times in my life you know that's not 
chance your footwork improves you know same through the season you know if you don't go in the mountains over the winter your first runs in the winter or first runs when you come back your footwork's terrible yeah and you're thinking how do i go faster but it just comes it comes yeah like and do you work like do you do you work a fast cadence when you say footwork like are you i suppose it depends like doesn't it on the terrain like it's going to dictate and how on your your elevation yeah like because I, I, I find when I'm doing it, and obviously I'm not an experienced mountain runner, I'm actually, I've sort of stayed away from the mountains because of my weak, weakness in my ankles. Yeah. I've done a lot of road things, but now I'm moving into the mountains now because I'm getting older and I don't want to run fast. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, yeah, I've already gone through that. But I find that, because I'm somebody that's always thinking about, you know, my form and how things go, but it's changing so much in the mountains. Like I'm one minute I'm doing this, the next minute I'm doing that. I don't know if I'm trying to find my way or is the terrain just dictating that? I don't think your form, like you, obviously, form as in how your body looks is going to change because you're stabilizing yourself for different types of terrain. It's not like running on the road where obviously you can have, you can look at someone and think they've got a really yeah, good form. Yeah. I don't know about, you know, I don't know that much about running to be honest, but I can look at someone from a distance and tell if they're a runner, mm-hmm. um, a proper runner. Um, same way I can spot a cyclist. You're, a you're there and you're looking at somebody going in the carriageway and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I get it with cycling all the time, you know, if I'm driving up behind a cyclist, I can tell instantly, it's like, yeah, that's a proper yeah, cyclist. Yeah, you can um, tell their cadence. And what yeah, doing, absolutely. Like. Um, I've only really started getting interested in cadence since I got this watch. And so now I can see what my cadence is. Like, I think in the hills, you run a fairly fast cadence on the way down because you're taking short strides. Um, on the way up, no, it's not very quick, is it? Are you, do you find that you're stronger on the way up or on the way down? Or are you, because generally, People are sort of one or the Stronger other. Stronger is in better. Yeah. Um, or have you got any I'm, not the, I'm not the quickest descender around. Um, Shamey Lynch is the quickest descender around. Um, uh, on a race, I can stay with him. Back, we used to train a fair bit together, you know, a couple of years ago, three years ago maybe. And in training, I couldn't get anywhere near him. But it was always, you know, I remember following Eamon McCricket down off Commodore and thinking... How can he do that? Like, he's, <laughs> how is that possible? But I think in a race it's different because you kind of switch off and just go for it. I, I'm not the strongest uphill. Um, I'd say you'd be struggling to catch Zach up a hill these days. But he weighs what fifty five kilo. I weigh what I weighed myself this morning actually. Um, I was eleven stone six, so yeah, seventy odd kilo. So yeah, like he's gonna be quickest uphill, but then he's not gonna be anywhere near as quick downhill. I think Shamey and me, Shamey's the quickest downhill and he's pretty quick uphill. I'm pretty quick uphill. I found out last year that I've got, I think I've got the uphill Donald record. Oh, do you? Yeah, well, Ian Conroy said that. Um, I don't know if he's right or not, but... You need to get a Strava sort of segment sorted out. I'm too old now. It's not going to happen, <laughs> is it? Like, I, yeah. Um, so no, they both work pretty well for me. I think you've got to be an all-rounder, especially for like the skyline where you can sort of think to yourself, oh, I'll take it easy on the descents. Um, and I push on the climbs, but there's a lot of times we've made. If you can comfortably run fast on the descents, so you're not pushing yourself physically, but your feet are good, mm-hmm. well then you will make up minutes on people who, and you know, when you get to the likes of the seven sevens, where the terrain is technical for most of it, well then, if you're serious about going fast, you have to be good down a hill. What's your proudest um, race to date? trying to think of the best race I ever had I think 
What's the best race you ever had to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the first time I broke the Donut record, probably. Um, because I won it the two years before and I ran it identical time. So I ran 5701 the first year in a blizzard. And people were saying to me, oh, you know, on a decent day, you could, you could have had a crack at the record. And I think Stevie had the record, it was 54 and a half. Um, and I sort of thought, oh, really? That's good. And then the following year, I ran exactly the same time in good conditions and felt like I'd gone pretty badly. And then I just had this premonition on the third year that it was going to go right. And it went really, really well. Um, what time did you have? 53.45, I think. And then the following year, I went 53.40. But I didn't feel like... I, I went really well up the hill, but I had a terrible time down. I still feel that I could run sub-52 on Donard. I've always felt that. But you have to piece it together. And I've never quite pieced it together. What were your splits in that? Do you split it up and down? Um, I think I was 35 or 36 to the top. It was exactly 36 or exactly 35. I remember that... It was the first time I'd beaten my age to the top because I insisted on getting my pint of Guinness off Jack when I got to the <laughs> It's like, I'll take Motivation. the trophy, but I want my pint. Um, so that was probably like the, the most sort of flowy race I've ever had where it all yeah. sort of went, went right. I can't think of many. Because it's great, obviously, being local as well, like in home, sort of the record of that race. Like, you know, I'll not lie. Like, I never expected to be a runner and I am quite proud of that. Mm. Maybe parts of the 7.7s, seven I won the 7.7s seven a couple of years ago, and again, when I started running, I saw Stevie Cunningham's record on the 7s, which was like 3.36, and no one else, I like think Johnny Steed went 3.45 once, no one else was getting under four hours. Wow. So his run was just on a different planet. Yeah. And I was thinking, how can he... And he was, Steve was the best downhiller I ever saw. It was so smooth. And so I thought, right, he's getting a fair bit of time on the downhills. But then I thought, right, I'm going to train for it and I go for it. And I did, you know, I was doing quite a few training runs around and I got a couple of 334s in training. Um, and then I was trying to run sub 330 because it's never been done. Um, and so I had my splits exactly worked out. And so for parts of it, I was flying and I was ahead of sub 330 split. And then I twisted my ankle coming off Lamagan, I had a bad time up Binion. Um, but then actually I kind of got back onto those splits again and I ran 3.30... No, I ran 3.36. Stevie was 3.38, I think. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, like... Is that the official 3.36? Yeah, wow. that was race time, 3.36. Was that the record now? Um, in that direction, yeah. Kim Colleton's got the record in the other... He ran 3.31 when he was the British champs. Um, but having run both ways... Yeah. like the one way is definitely seven eight minutes slower so the one that I've got if I'd done that in the other direction I'd say it would have been sub 330 mm-hmm. um, when you have to go up the valley from the dam up onto Mealmore that is a drag yeah. <laughs> real drag so it definitely slows things down um, so 2019 then what have you got lined up for this year uh, hopefully the world ultra championships um, which is in Portugal in June um, so I'd have to qualify for that in March so I'll do the Morris Mullins in March World Ultra in June all being well but the big aim is to try and qualify for Patagonia for the world long distance again and what distance is that? that's 26 so it's, yeah it's just a full mountain marathon um, I think I looked at some pictures of the race 
last year and there might be snow on the ground I might be making that up but that would be ideal like the big problem I have is that humidity knocks me for six mm. we're just not used to it in this country at all can't cope with it mm. um, heat isn't so bad but it's just the humidity I you know, ran the Gia de Mont for the world champs a couple of years ago and even warming up running up and down the main street in Pramana and I felt tired and so setting out to run that race but then there was this absolute like biblical deluge halfway through cleared all the humidity and I went from I think I was about 65th 70th at that point and got my way back up to the top 40 and yeah I was just picking my way through the field like feeling absolutely fantastic oh yeah I went from feeling near death drop you know I was going to drop out um, I stopped and actually the British team were carrying my um, gels and stuff for me to the feed pump because I was, I was on my own there was no Irish team that year it was just me and so I was like support crew and everything I had to go to the technical meeting and all this it's a good crack but uh, so I had no one to take my bags and uh, so I grabbed my bag off them and I stopped and I started arranging stuff in it and they were like saying no oh, you know <laughs> we could have done that for you and I said listen Mark, you know I've had it like, I'm only keeping going because it's the only way back <laughs> um, but then this rainstorm came and I felt amazing so yeah if we can get a world championships which is in really poor weather then it'll be good this year was pretty poor weather in Poland and that was my best finish so have you any aspirations um... locally uh, <laughs> always wanted to do the analogue horseshoe because it's a brilliant route but then it's my mate's birthday so I think we're going to go to Bike Park Wales instead <laughs> so I'll be missing the horseshoe again um, I might do a couple of Hill and Dales um, I can't I've been saying for quite a long time if I'm honest that I need to chill out a bit and relax and stop training so much and because it does you know you know yourself it takes a lot of time um, and it can leave you kind of knackered a lot of the time and just yeah even playing with my kids and stuff when they're wanting to play catchies around the park and I'm limping around like a 90 year old because um, I've been out and done a long session that morning it'd be nice not to have that so I've always said oh you know I'm going to back off and it's not happened yet um, so maybe I'll do a swan song this year I don't know <laughs> oh yeah I'll do a couple of Hillendales um, maybe Brilliant. the Dominic yeah. thanks very much good old total pleasure all the luck 2000. and to yourself big one for you all the best yeah I think we're very lucky to have the more maintenance sitting in our back garden. It's not surprising at all that he ends up there almost every day. Just listening to him makes me want to lace up and head in that direction. He truly is an amazing athlete, crushing numbers I could only dream of. I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast and maybe this will entice you to try a few trails. A superb lineup over the next few weeks, so until then, stay safe and keep on moving.